We saw last week James continues in his letter to believers, and he was addressing priorities. Priorities in one's life and how you set priorities, and our priorities must be set and be on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is in our life. Because if we allow our minds to get set upon anybody else or anything else and situations of life, it will cause us challenges because our priorities can come out of whack. Our minds can go a little squirrely. And so we must come back because we will have some kinds of pressures that will come against you. And we saw that last week with the abusing of the wealthy upon the poor. James was rebuking and he was coming against these abusing wealthy people coming against others in the fellowship. You must have known that James writing this letter wasn't just writing this because he thought that was a good idea to touch on something like that. As we saw in the scripture, it, wasn't a, it would not have been an easy read. Because remember, they would have taken this letter and read it to the entire congregation. That must have been an interesting day at church. Now, as we look at this, Jesus, I mean, James really rebukes this abusing wealthy people. It turns and addresses now today the restless. Those who are restless in their faith, restless in where their life is right now, and things are just seem to be not settled. You feel very impatient versus patient of what's going on in your life. Things are not happening according to what you would like to see happen. And the way you would like to see happen. Or why isn't everyone lining up and doing what I want? And how I want it. You've been in the groceries line. You understand when you're standing there and you know you deliberately checked three times. You have ten items in your hand and you're in the right line where it says no more than ten items. And why does the person in front of me have eleven? You've been there. That's why you laugh. Because you've all counted other people's items. Is that because you're patient? (laughs) Is that because you're patient? No. Are you the judge at that moment? Yes. Oh, how subtle it is. But it shows and reveals to our hearts of where our mind is. And the most simplest of things. If you've ever been in traffic jams, I know, 10 here in Watertown, 10 in a row is like, Rush hour traffic for us. But if you've ever been in California, or New Jersey, or anywhere else it seems like in the world, 10 is like no one's on the streets in most places. But but the tone here in James' letter certainly turns from speaking condemnation upon these abusing wealthy people upon the people, doing it illegally, taking and not holding back the wages of the people who have done the work and manipulating the system to try to make more money and get it for themselves. Very selfish hoarding of money and power and resources. That's not going on today, I'm sure. But back in these days, it was obviously a challenge. 
But he speaks now not from condemnation down upon, but now he's kind of come in from a part of this letter here, and he kind of takes the pressure and sensitivity and or consolation or comfort or compassion to the brothers, to the brethren, to the believers once again here. And in our text today, James addresses the suffering saints who were going through this that he was just rebuking the wealthy people about regarding the need for patience. This was James' counsel, if you remember, at the very beginning of the letter in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now he is going to bring that full circle at the, at the end of his letter and bring this whole subject about patience up once again. That must have been an important thing of the, of the time within the church body about teaching what it means to be patient in the Lord. Because obviously there were some challenges Understand, God is not going to right all the wrongs in this world until Jesus Christ returns. And we believers must patiently endure and expect him. We must get that settled as James is trying to help them there in the early church. You need to patiently endure because the Lord is coming back. Back then, James believed his half-brother, Jesus Christ, the, the Lord, God in the flesh, was coming back for them to rule and reign. And that is no different today. We are waiting with great anticipation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we see here very clearly that not only do we patiently endure, but we patiently endure knowing the time is short and the Lord is coming back for his bride. Now here we will see James has three examples or encouraging examples of patient endurance that he gives to them at the early church and he gives to, the, to us today. And we see here in James chapter 5 verse 7 it says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient and establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The very first encouraging example is a farmer. I used to call it the farmer John. Now I call it the farmer Stan, just because. Because I can watch now many times in a close relationship to see what the farmer actually is going through on a day-to-day -day basis. I assure you, if you're an impatient man, you're not called to be a farmer. Now God may use you to go work the farm to learn patience. And it's always welcomed. If you would like, I'm sure Stan would love to sign you up to come work this summer in the fields. But James brought the issue of the ultimate judgment before us in his remarks about the ungodly wealthy and their destiny and how much problems and issues it was causing upon those who were poor. Many times people who were being used and abused immediately wants 
thunder to come down and take them out. But James didn't ask Jesus to send lightning and strike these wealthy people. He turned to those who were being abused by these wealthy people and he said, we must patiently endure. Why? Because the Lord is coming back. And he's in control. He calls the Christians, especially those enduring hardships, to patiently endure until the Lord comes. There's a high recommendation here. Again, if, if you find yourself today, what does the Lord want to speak to you in and through his word today about patience in your life? A farmer does not give up when the crop does not come up to harvest immediately. We see James says they had to patiently endure and wait for some indication that the seeds were going to start growing. It would take time. Why? Until the early or latter rains, uh, James says. That means the early rains was October or early November in Israel, in that desert situation that we, that we see today. It would be those rains that would soften the hard desert ground. It would allow the farmer to be able to then plow the, the ground, plant the seeds. Then they must wait all the way until the latter rains. When was the latter rains? The latter rains would then show up somewhere in that April of May of the following year. So during the entire time, the farmer must wait patiently to see if the seeds were going to bear fruit. They couldn't see anything. They didn't know. They had no control over the weather. Or if the weather did come, it wasn't in controlled by the days that they would love to have uh, planted. And the more I listen and watch the farmers here locally, the more they do by faith pray each day for God's timing of when to plant and plow. Or I should say plow and plant. To put the seeds in. Is it dry enough? Is it not too dry? Is it going to rain? Is it going to go wet? And they're just every day living by faith, trusting that God was going to bring the, the timing and the rain to hope that we would bear fruit. But the farmer has no control over the weather. No control. All he could do is prepare the soil. The soil in the scripture spiritually is a spiritual harvest for our lives. The soul represents your heart. The seeds, as we know in the scripture, represents the word of God. So we sit here and we look at this, um, this farmer and we say, they don't know if it's going to be too little rain, too much rain. Is it going to be too hot or not too warm enough? Is it going to have an early frost and really mess some things up here? But the farmer develops a long-suffering, a patience, an enduring patience because of the things called seasons. There's the seasons of life. There's the winter. There's a spring. There's a summer. And then there's a fall. 
And each of those seasons represents when a farmer can or cannot do it. And all those can fluctuate based on timing. It's not perfect every single year. It's not always predictable as much as the farmer's almanac always thinks they're always right. Even the weather person always thinks when they put something out, it's going to be right. But I don't know a farmer who doesn't walk out and doesn't look at the, so much the app or the farmer's almanac. I only know farmers who walk out each day and look up and say, God, is, is this the day we're going to do the next? Are we going to plow today? Is this the day you want us to, to be able to, to plant? Is this the day that is a time for harvest? It's all of those moments of trusting what does God show you. And it will, it will create this enduring patience in one's life as a farmer, as James uses as an example. The farmer had to wait rainfall twice in the year. But although the, he could do nothing to bring it, He could not lose heart, and he always kept working even between the rains. Patiently enduring does not mean you sit and do nothing. Farmers do every day something to move on to the next thing they need to do. To prepare and to plan and it's a daily walk because if you don't, if you sit back and say, I'm just going to wait until it's, you know, October 1st, and then I'll just go out there and just start plowing. It may not be exactly the right day. This is the day I'm going to go out there and I'm going to plant my seeds because that is the day right in October we're supposed to do it. it. May not work out. The rain, early rain, may not have come yet to allow you to be able to do that work. So when we take a look at this, the farmer had this patiently enduring and waiting many weeks for the seeds to produce fruit. Why would a farmer willingly wait and just keep working and do what they need to do, waiting and see if there's going to be this, whatever is growing is going to be growing. Why would he wait? Well, we see in verse 7, because the fruit is precious. Why would this farmer wait, not knowing or knowing if this was going to happen in this moment in time? Because the fruit is precious. The harvest is worth waiting for. And from a, our perspective, from a, a spiritual perspective, Galatians 6 9 is so important. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. See, James is saying, don't lose heart. Yes, the, the wealthy is abusing you. Yes, you're poor. Yes, things are not going well. Things are not lining up the way you want them. But patiently endure. You must continue. And he continues here in this verse, in verse 8. It says, you also be patient, establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. They really believe at that moment in time, 
Just like we need to believe today that the Lord is coming back. And that we need to establish, or the Greek word means strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The soon return of Jesus requires that we have established hearts. That we are so established in who Jesus is in our life and following him and being obedient to him that is no question you're ready for Jesus to return. That our hearts are rooted in Jesus. Our priorities are in Jesus, not in what people are doing against you or why things are not working out the way you wanted to, but the fact of your relationship with Jesus is established and deeply rooted. Because the winds are going to come. The storms are going to come. Persecution is coming. Are you rooted? Are you established in your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the question I have for you today. That's what James is saying to the believers here in the early church. Where's your priority? Stay focused on the Lord. Don't be distracted by these wealthy people. Don't be distracted by the worldly things. Don't be distracted by the the desires of the flesh. But be rooted, be established in your heart and and understand that Jesus and who he is in your life, but his eternal purpose, his priority of all things in your life. That was what must be pursued. James here pictures the Christian as a spiritual farmer looking for a spiritual harvest to be established in your life so it's grounded and certain in your life. Because our hearts have to be right. The soil has to be prepared. The seed, the word of God we see in Luke 8 11 has to be planted. It has to be watered. It has to patiently watch and wait. So many times people say, yes, I trust in Jesus. Yes, I, 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 I want the word of God in my life. But they're so impatient. Waiting for the fruit of the spirit to be developed in your life. Why am I still struggling in this area? Why? Am, sometimes we can find ourselves, we're almost too gracious on ourselves in many times, and we allow things to not be t- taken care of in our lives. We have issues and things with regards to in our soil that's causing the, the word not to grow and not to be fruitful. But it's many times people outside are so critical and so coming against you because they don't want, you're not perfect yet. And these challenges can cause you to be challenged. But let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, show grace because God is working in your life. And understand those who you love, God is working in their life. And be patient and, and have show grace because he's still working in your life. He's working in their life. And not everyone's heart is just yet ready yet. Sometimes they don't get the word of God in and they're not applying it to their life. How many Christians I know that are not getting the word of God. They're not even, there's every week after week, not this church, I assure you, but other church, they're just not getting the word of God, pure and simple, simply reading the word of God and understanding it. 
We must, and throughout the week, we must sit at his feet with the word of God and allow the spirit of God to teach you the word and apply it to your life. It is absolutely needed. There are seasons in the spiritual life, just as there are seasons to the soil for the farmer. Sometimes our heart becomes so cold and so wintry that the Lord has to plow them up again. They have to go back and rework the land because something's not working. Because the weeds are growing back in one's life. But it has to be replowed before he can then take the planting and plant those seeds back in the ground and look for the fruit. Yes, he sends the sunshine. Yes, he brings the rains of his goodness to water and nurture the seeds planted. But we must patiently endure waiting for the harvest. And we must understand, God is producing a harvest in our lives. And he is going to be faithful to complete that. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to grow, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The only way he can do it is through trials and tribulation that James talked about in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Instead of growing impatient with God and with ourselves, we must yield to the Lord and permit the time for the fruit to grow in one's life. One of the major purposes of the spiritual ministry of the local church is to help you to establish the heart. We see that in Romans chapter 1 verse 11. That's why when people say, I don't need to go to church, then you don't know the word of God. And then when you understand the fact that if you think you don't have to be part of the church, you are missing out and how God wants to help you establish your heart. And you will not be, you will not be established. You'll be on shaky ground in your spiritual walk. How do I know this is important? We see it in the scripture. Paul sent young Timothy, young pastor Timothy to Thessalonica to establish the young Christians in their faith. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. But Paul didn't just send Timothy. We also see in those verses 10 through 13 that Paul also prayed for them that they might be what? Established. What does it mean to be established? Established in the word of God. To know the word of God. To apply the word of God. To live out the living. Not to be just hearers of the word of God, but to be doers of the word of God. Again, back in the very beginning of this letter that James talked about. The ministry of the word of God and prayer are so important to establish, in your, to establish your heart. And an important in the heart is going to be established. The heart is not established cannot bear special uh, spiritual fruit. I just don't experience, I don't see the love from that person's life because they're not established yet. They seem to be not so kind consistently or even at all because they're not established yet. They seem to not be long-suffering or patient or, or self-controlled because they haven't been established yet. It is not about how long you say you've been a Christian. 
I assure you, I met a lot of people who said they've been a Christian for all their whole life, but they've never been established. And that's why they've never had the fruit of the Spirit bear from their life. Remember, the farmer does not stand around doing nothing. He is constantly at work as he looks toward the harvest to come by faith. See, at the very end, he says again, for the focus is for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this is that real sense in which the coming of the Lord is at hand. In the days of James, he believes that he was at hand. And even for us today, we believe that our Lord is coming back. And it's that application here that was so clear. Because just as the farmer, every believer should be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Now what's interesting, he continues here and he addresses a practical problem obviously in the church because when you find when there's pressure and stress and attacks and all kinds of things in one's life, even in the church life, as they were experiencing, he says in verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you... Be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I love this because it's one thing to say patiently endure. But he takes it to the next application level and says, if what I mean by patiently endure means stop your complaining and stop your grumbling about those abusing wealthy people and about why other people are not doing what you want them to do and they're not being fruitful and they're not being this and not being that. Stop it. It's not helpful, it's not good, it's not right, it's not encouraging. Stop your complaining and stop your grumbling. And start focusing your priorities on serving and living for God. So he says there, do not grumble against one another, brother. Why would you spend time wasting your energy and time and energy with a critical spirit constantly going against your brethren? That is insanity. It's not right. It's not good. So stop it. That's the application. That's the practical aspect of the life James is telling him to. So James called the believers to stop grumbling lest you be condemned. (laughs) You think that's going to help you because you're able to just express yourself because you're really frustrated with your brother or sister to the left or to the right of you? Be careful. You have to understand these wealthy people you might be complaining against and you might have a good reason to be complaining against them, but you got to stop it. Why? Because Jesus is standing at the door. The judge himself is standing at the door. Why would you be caught in to be, be condemned as well with this? You can't. You need to stop. Times of hardship can cause us to be less than loving with our Christian brothers and sisters or less loving within the family. But James is reminding us that we cannot become grumblers and complainers in our hardship lest we be condemned even in our hardship. And it's foolish to spend time doing that. 
Matthew gives us a very clear warning for us. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2 says, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measurement you use, it will be measured back to you. So it's a very clear warning for us as believers. You start judging, you're going to be judged the same way. You start measuring and see how much they're a Christian and not being a Christian and how they've got their life perfect and not perfect in lines with the scripture. You're going to be measured that same way. Hello? You, you get your little magnifying glass out and you start criticizing and critical spirited. Watch out. It's coming back your way. It's not an if. It's only when. And I know none of us want that to happen, so stop it. Don't do it to others. That's what James is saying here. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. How much clearer can you be when you're sitting there and the two people are grumbling and complaining and, and criticizing and being critical? Can you imagine if they only knew that Jesus was right standing there at the door listening? Would you be doing that? Would you be complaining about your brother? Complaining about your sister? I would absolutely think you would absolutely go quiet for the first time in your life. Because Jesus is standing and listening. Let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, if you're a believer today, Jesus is standing right there in your life, listening and watching everything we say. But he says here, James says, we're not only not to judge, we're not to, to be critical, but we are able to assess the faithfulness of Christians in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Because of this, we cannot show hardship to make us unloving to her. You can't justify it. You can't do those things. We have to understand there's an assessment. There's things that are going on in people's lives that you may not even know about. But what you do know is what's going on in your life and how you're using that to bring glory to God or you're going to cause challenges in the fellowship with that. But if we have that hope of Christ's return soon, believers should cease that petty conflicts which James alluded to even in chapter 4. Now we go from the farmer, now we go to the second beautiful example of what James is trying to make a point here to the believers at the church. And he says, the, he talks about the prophets. He says right here, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Well, James reminds them of who the prophets are because they all knew who the prophets were. That the prophets of the Old Testament endured hardship. Why? Because they were called by God to share or to give out or to speak God's word to those who were going against God. Now, can you imagine that? Think about that through. Your job is every day 
take from what God tells you to then as a prophet to go out and speak to exactly who God wants you to speak to about the truth of God to people who absolutely want to go against God. Think about that. You already know there's going to be conflict. But do you not know that's exactly what God's called us to do? Not to be, as a prophet, we're not called to be a prophet that, but we're called to share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. There are people who don't want to hear the good news about who, what Jesus did for them. Did you know that? Have you met a few of them? There might be conflict. These prophets were great examples of being in the will of God, but they still suffered. Let me say that again. The prophets were in the will of God, but they still suffered in this life. They went out and preached in the name of the Lord, yet they were persecuted. Many of the prophets had to endure great trials, great sufferings, not only at the hands of unbelievers, but even in the hands of professed believers. Think about that. What, what great example you know them they were thinking of when they said the prophets, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one example of someone who endured mistreatment with patience. He was accused and arrested for being a traitor that even though he was not. He was thrown in an abandoned in a well to die. Thrown into this miry environment, this muddy dungeon we see in Jeremiah 38.6. Thrown into stocks, thrown into prison, yet he patiently endured in his ministry. It didn't stop him from doing what God called him to do as a prophet. As much as God honored and loved these prophets, yet they were not exempted from affliction, but were slandered and persecuted by men. And that was being in the will of God. We must never think that obedience to what God's called you to do automatically means you have this easy, pleasurable Christian life. That is not true. You will face persecution. God said, as a believer, we'll face persecution. We will. The rain rains on the just and the unjust. These things we have to understand that God says. Remember, our Lord was obedient, but he went to the cross. And so certainly the prophets encourage us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through the sufferings for his sake. That brings glory to him. We'll be rewarded in heaven for that. It is said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. You know, the, the impact of a faithful, godly life carries a lot of power. 
we need to remind ourselves that our patience in times of suffering is a testimony to others around us. The important thing is that the farmer, like the farmer, we keep working. We keep doing what God's called you to do as a farmer and everyone sees it. Well, the rain hasn't coming. The rain has wait, too much coming in. Oh, how are you going to get the season? It doesn't stop the farmer to continue daily doing the hard work. How about the prophets? The prophets keep witnessing. Even though they're being persecuted, even though they're coming against them, it doesn't stop them from being a witness for God and doing what God's called them to do. They're patiently enduring. He gives a third example here. We see that in verse 11. He says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Well, if you ever read the book of Job, it can challenge you. It will challenge you to the nth degree because she's like, how could God do such a thing? Well, keep growing and maturing, then you'll understand this. And that's why James uses Job. Because James essentially tells us Job is an absolute example what it means to be a suffering Christian. And being in God's will according to what God wanted to do in that man's life. But no, James does not say Job has patience here, but Job endured and he was steadfast through all of the testing that God allowed Satan to bring against the man directly. See, passages such as Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22... Show us the tremendous perseverance of this afflicted man who refused to curse God despite his severe and mysterious sufferings. He had no idea why it was happening to him. Why am I going through this, God? This does not make sense. I love you and I follow you and I've been obedient. I'm doing. Why is this happening to me? Well, we see here clearly in verse 11 why. We see that the end intended by the Lord. Those, those, have you got that underlined? The end intended by the Lord. It speaks of the ultimate goal and the purpose God was doing and was committed to do in Job's life by allowing the suffering to come upon Job. Perhaps the greatest end intended by the Lord was to use Job as a lesson, an example to the angelic beings even as God promises to use the church. How do I know that? Go back and read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and it tells you exactly why. We have to understand, you cannot persevere unless there is a trial in your life. 
Oh, I'm persevering. What trial are you going through? None. Well, then you're not persevering. Oh, I'm, God is doing patience and I'm, I'm growing in patience. Yes, I am. What trial and tribulations are you going through and, and troubles? None. Then I assure you, you haven't felt it yet. Because if you think you're being tested and you're not, wait till it happens because it will. There can be no victories without battles and there can be no peaks without valleys. And if you want the blessing, you must be prepared to carry the burden and fight the battle. See, God takes our lives and he balances this life through privileges with responsibilities. If he gives you privileges, you have responsibilities. If he gives you blessings, you will then also with burdens. If he wants something or else I, you and I would become spoiled Christian brats. If he didn't cause that balance in our lives, if he didn't have it, and it would not bring the patience or perseverance that God wants to develop in one's life. Remember, Paul was so blessed, so privileged, given such wisdom and abilities and capabilities and and just amazing life. And you're like, oh, I want to be just like him. Keep reading. Because when God blessed this man and gave him privileges and lifted him up to the third heaven so that he could hear and see marvelous words that he couldn't even repeat or write. What was the result? Do you know? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-10. through 10. God had to give Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. See, God knows how to balance your life, even though you may not fully understand it. He knows what's best to do in and through your life. So when do blessings come? Well, we see in the scripture in the middle of trials. We may experience God's blessings as did the three Hebrew guys, if you remember in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Jesus showed up when? In the middle of the heated moment. James taught that there is a blessing also after we have patiently endured what God's bringing us through. There's no greater example than Job. Think about the circumstances coming against this man who was walking with God, who loved God. He lost his wealth, lost his health, lost his children, his beloved children, and his wife. (laughs) His wife. His wife, was she the encourager that's standing right next to him and saying, Honey, we're going to make it through here. Let's just hold on tight. We trust God. No, 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 no. We see in Job chapter 2, verse 9, she turns to him and says, Curse God and die. Curse God and commit suicide. It'd be better for you. That's what she's saying to him. That's the supportive wife. Not only that, his friends were against him. 
For they accused him of being a hypocrite and deserving of the judgment of God. Oh, that's, those are beautiful friends. Oh, you surround yourself with them. It seemed like God was against him. When Job cried out for answers to his questions, which is absolutely needed and, and welcomed by God, cries out to them and saying, why God? There was no reply from God. Complete silence. God did not answer his questions. What did Job do? He persevered. He patiently endured. Why? Well, Everything was going against him. Everyone in this world he knew, but even Satan was going against him. If you remember, Satan went to God and asked permission, and God allowed him to go and test him. Why? Because Satan was absolutely for certain that he was going to cause this man to be so, become so impatient with God that he would then curse and abandon his faith and no longer serve and walk with God and Satan says let me Adam because you bless this man of course he's going to follow you but let me take every okay you could take everything away except for his life God's still in control but think of this this through a little bit because Satan was coming after him, believed he understood, but he did not understand. And it's true that Job questioned God's will, but Job did not forsake his faith in the Lord through it all. How do we know this? Because right from Job himself in chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, Though he, God, slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. That is a man has a relationship with God. Job was so sure of who God is and who he is in his life the character of the God he serves and knows and loves. Even though he did not understand all that God was doing and allowing in his life, he continued to patiently endure because he trusted God. Does that speak of your life today? We see that the Lord was very passionate, compassionate and merciful. If you read Job, most people will say, how could a God of compassion and mercy do this to this man? God didn't do it to the man. He allowed this man to do it. But understand, compassion and mercy. God only allowed the suffering for a very good reason, not for just any old reason. God restricted Satan and could only do with what God allowed him to do. God sustained him with his unseen hand through all of Job's sufferings. God was so very compassionate and merciful to Job because in the whole process, God used Satan himself to do what? To refine Job. Job was so walking with God that anyone in the outward would say, oh, he is totally a godly man. He's totally walking with God. That he has already arrived in somehow spiritually. 
But God knows. And God took this moment, took everything away from him, and then proved that this man is a godly man, that he loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, strength, and God then replenished and blessed him even more. He refined this man to the, uh, another level that no one would ever experience or want to experience. But God said, I can take him to that through that experience. And he will come out even greater and better and blessed to bring glory to me. To bring glory to God. See, we have to understand Satan wants us to get impatient with God. And, and be imp- and an impatient Christian is a powerful weapon in the devil's hands. How do we know that? Moses became impatient and robbed him of a lifelong trip to the Holy Land. He never got to go into the Holy Land. Abraham's impatient led to the birth of Ishmael, and now we have the enemy of the Jews. Peter's impatient almost made him a murderer. Thankfully, he missed the ear, only got the ear and missed the head. When Satan attacks us, it is easy for us to get impatient and run ahead of God and lose God's blessing as a result or worse, cause major problems. We must learn to patiently endure and follow daily what God wants you to do for him. See, what's the answer to all this test? What is the answer about enduring impatience? What is it all about this? And I found 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that ministered to me the most. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That verse ministers to me going through trials and tribulations. When things seem to be a challenge and God is allowing it to touch my life. See, when you find yourself in the furnace, and that furnace will vary with everybody, go to the throne of grace and receive from the Lord all the grace you need to patiently endure through the furnace. And then lastly here, chapter 12, uh, yeah, chapter 12, chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 12. We see above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Many commentators will sit there and go, Where did, why did James write this verse in the middle? It doesn't flow with what we were just talking about. It doesn't flow in the remaining of the, of the, of the letter. Why right there? But I still, I think I see it. I understand why he put it there. Because when you become impatient, and when you get really frustrated, and when you're not walking with the Lord and trusting in God that he's in control of your life, and you're just complaining and grumbling and doing, you'll say whatever you need to say to deal with the issue at hand. You have to understand, back in these days, the Jewish people in the time James wrote this had a very understanding of what binding oaths were and unbinding oaths were. 
Oaths that did not include the name of God were considered non-binding. And when you use those kinds of oaths, what it means is it's like you're talking to someone and you have your hand behind your back with your fingers crossed, knowing that in your mind you're saying one thing, but you'll never do it. My example today is when people say, maybe. Okay, you just told me no, but you're not willing to tell me no. Is it a yes or is it a no? Lord willing. See, James is sitting here and the Bible does not forbid the swearing of oaths. We see it's only the swearing of deceitful or unwise or irresponsible oaths. That's what he's dealing with. And they were becoming so squirrely of impatience, it was causing problems. But we see here James addressing this issue. He says, stop talk, taking the Lord's name in vain. Stop sitting there and saying, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God, I promise I will never do this again, I promise, I swear to God. That is what you've got to stop doing that. Stop taking an oath or something that you don't really will follow through with. And we all struggled, have struggled with that. We've all been there. But we must grow and mature and realize and understand as you impatiently endure, patiently endure, and when you're impatient, you must get down to that concrete yes, no. You must be follow through with what your yes and your no. You must be clear and transparent to help you to grow through this. And stop the swearing. Because the need to swear or make oaths beyond a simple clear yes and no exposes the weaknesses of one's word. Your word is weak. It demonstrates that there is not enough weight in one's own character to confirm your word. You should get to a point where you're mature and you're growing and fruitfulness in your life when you say yes There's no question in people's minds when they hear it from you. You know that he means yes. And when you say no, you know it means no. And there's clarity. The testimony of your life should be such that when one says yes, it is a yes. And when you say no, it's a no. But that's what we need to do. We need to continue to grow. And that's what James is saying here. You must grow. You must mature spiritually. You must in this area. Why? Because the lack of character will expose and bring about a judgment seat of Christ. You are going to be corrected. You're going to be, as a child of God, chasing through this. Things are going to happen to bring light to what you need to change and do. Praise the Lord that he does that. But you now take that and use that as a platform to move forward. And so in this section today, you can see very practically what James is trying to get across and encourage them to patiently endure in the times of suffering and stress. Why? Like a farmer, we're waiting for a spiritual harvest, for fruit that will glorify God. Like a prophet, we look for opportunities for witness 
to share the truth of God, to bring glory to God through that. Like Job, waiting for the Lord to fulfill his loving purpose in your life, knowing that he will never cause his children to suffer needlessly. Nor like Job, that we will have a clear vision of, of the Lord and come to know him better, personally know him better of having been in the furnace of affliction. May we be patient, patiently enduring, for the coming of the Lord draws near.